This week's episode of Screen Talk is sponsored by Amazon Studios presenting Sound of Metal. Now nominated for six Academy Awards for Best Picture, actor Riz Ahmed, supporting actor Paul Racy, original screenplay, editing, and sound. Also nominated for a SAG Award for Best Actor Riz Ahmed and three Film Independent Spirit Awards. Sound of Metal is now streaming on Prime Video. Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. We are at another interesting turning point in award season with various headlines piling up about other shows and what they tell us about the end of the finish line for the Oscars. We have some indications of what that uh, evasive show is going to actually look like. And we've been some of us seeing movies and talking about things that have nothing to do with award season, but let's start with the obvious stuff. So Anne, maybe you can just bring us up to speed in terms of what the past week meant from an award standpoint, because a couple of things happened that were pretty crucial. All right, so we had the Writers Guild on Sunday night and the Writers Guild gave us more information about uh, the support, at least from the writers, of uh, Promising Young Woman, as opposed to Trial of the Chicago 7. So Aaron Sorkin got beat by Emerald Fennell. This is mighty Aaron Sorkin, you know, scribe of the gods, right? But what seems to be going on, A, Netflix, B, populist, soft-edged entertainment for the masses, uh, D, um, old school, white, male, established being upset by a younger woman from Britain with her first movie, literally her first movie. Uh, so, um, Although she did do an entire, we got to give her credit. She did do a whole season of a show. Yeah, so. And that's one of the reasons she won is that she, the writer's guild is also TV writers. So mm-hmm. she has support from all of them from the TV side. And, and she's an actress. People know her uh, as an actress. So she's she. But obviously, people love promising a woman. It seems to represent the upstart, the uh, surprising, unpredictable narrative that uh, took people uh, aback in a in a well, good yeah. way. It's a timely movie, but also it's a weird risk taking movie. It's very unpredictable, and that's what I appreciated about it. You could argue that tonally it's uneven and all this stuff, but I. When I watched it, I never expected certain things to happen, even though in certain ways it is a predictable movie up to a point. It's it's a fascinating way of sort of playing off your expectations, whereas Trial, as you say, it's it's Sorkin. You know, you could picture that movie in your head before you see it for better. I, as a writer and a student of screenplays, really respect what Sorkin did in terms of taking all of those different characters and threading them and taking the two time frames and giving everybody their moment and having all these different things play out. It's a very complicated little puzzle that he put together and then delivered with all those great actors. Um, but I think that, uh, as you say, uh, people have seen this and they're familiar with Sorkin. Those rhythms are very, very familiar. Whether yeah. you're Eric Sorkin or Wes Anderson or Terrence Malick or whomever, that kind of a thing becomes an issue after a while. And I guess it raises this question. I mean, we knew that in Best Picture, Trial was really not a front runner, even if it tried to establish itself that way early on. But now it seems like you have this question of, in the screenplay conversation, where does this leave somebody like Sorkin, who in theory is, is an Oscar heavyweight, 
when I mean, obviously he's not up against Fennell for that. He, but you know, you have you have serious competition in that category. Too. Well, you, I guess what I'm trying to what I've been trying to get to is that if he has a he won the Golden Globe for for screenplay, actually, um, Fennell won the Critics' Choice Awards, so that was a sign that there was strength in this category for her. I don't want to make too much of it, right? In other, but so that what was the next thing to come up? The next thing to come. Oh, and then Borat won, but again, that was uh, in adapted. In that particular case, the front runner for adapted, two front runners for adapted, the father and Nomadland, ahead in the overall scheme of things of Borat, weren't eligible for the Writers Guild, so they couldn't win. And that's one reason why why Borat, which was a nominee for the PGA, yeah. which was the next thing that come came up, which was last night, so uh, Wednesday night. So the PGA, um, we all expected Nomadland to win, and Nomadland won. And yeah, I mean, we means... were talking beforehand. Is, is it can Anne write this story before it happens or not? And the question, yeah, is, yeah, it was, it was pretty <laughs> yeah. easy. Yeah. So, so the answer is yes, and the answer is also we can pretty much decide. You know, unfortunately, Eric, I, I, I know you're not the biggest fan of my octopus teacher. That's going to probably <laughs> win uh, best documentary. Why is and this the, all being pinned on me? As if I, 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 I have guy. my issues as well. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm rooting for Collective or Crip Camp or something. Time, you know, I think I, I thought Time there. might even win the, the PGA, but no, it was the popular Netflix movie. It's so clear talking to people how much they love it. And they don't want to hear anything negative about how manipulative it like is or anything a puppy like that. Or something. I mean, that, that, that's the thing, though. It's like I understand the the um, the appreciation of of the filmmaking in that movie up to a point. I just don't think that it's particularly well executed at the end of the day, especially when you look at the other movies it's being compared to, and they're such different movies all across the board. But they're much. It touches I mean, people's hearts, Eric. In the end. In the end, in the end, I thought, I mean, Crip Camp touches people's hearts too, uh, in a big way. Uh, but in the end, this was a, um, this was definitely a, uh, a heart tugger. And that's going to be the reason why also because everybody saw it on Netflix. It really had buzz. It had word of mouth, which is why I watched it pretty early on, uh, before I don't think Netflix even, they didn't even, we talked about this. It, we have gone I don't over think they ever times, thought that this was going to be an awards contempt. I know but that is a, a unique kind of phenomenon to the, to the situation we've been in the last few years that you could have a distribution platform with the option of seeing what resonates and plucking something from obscurity and then investing in it. I mean, well, I it's the old Harvey Weinstein universe. I suppose. You know? I Harvey suppose, Weinstein but... always had a ton of movies. He threw them all more. out Netflix has to more. see which ones would stick. And then he backed those. I mean, that, that's old, that's old news. But, but anyway, the idea is that uh, the third, the other thing that went, one was soul. So we can assume soul's going to win uh, animated feature. Yeah. So if there was I, going to be an upset, it didn't happen. Uh, well, it, it did at the WGAs. If we rewind for a second, though, what would be that upset? Because what I thought was, if there is a movie that could upset in Best Picture, once we had the nominees, it would have to be Minari, right? Because Minari is a widely beloved movie. As you say, it's, it's quite um, likely that it will win Supporting Actress. But it's in all these other major categories, and everybody talks about it. 
is there a I think SAG is the chance for that to win. Right. So we it still would have, have that to win SAG. It would have to do that. It would have something would have to upset because Nomadland isn't up for SAG anyway. So so that's an opportunity for trial or for Minari. Right. Uh, it, it, this is an unusual year though. Look at look Very at what weird. happened at SAG. You have three SAG ensemble movies. That's supposed to be a sign of huge strength at the Oscars. You have three of them that didn't make best picture. It didn't even make best picture. Yeah. So you have, you know, One Night in Miami and, and Ma Rainey and Da Five Bloods all not making uh, best picture. And yeah, the one nice that did it. make best picture was Judas. And that was, you know, a little late breaking to be the front runner at SAG. So right. that's that's what's going on there. So it, it's a but Minari was in that lineup and it could it could be the one. And there there is this sense I get. I, I really like Minari. I love Nomadland. And I think that talking to people about both of those movies is, is one of those annoying Oscar season phenoms where these movies are great. They're not really similar entirely in ways that you could you should be comparing. But if you were to put them side by side, you can really get a sense of some people are in one camp and some people are in the other camp. And I have talked to a good amount of people, maybe not a lot of people, but some people who are not the biggest Nomadland fans. It's not exclusively the most revered movie of award season. And there are Minari people, a lot of actors who think that actors like Minari yeah, and actors like branch. Minari. That's really why SAG is a, is a possibility, but I don't think it's going to win anything except supporting actress. It, it, even if it does win SAG. Um, I, I think that the reason Nomadland is a bigger movie than Minari. Minari is a farmland, rural, drama, family drama, beautifully made, beautifully shot. It's gorgeous. But Nomadland has a different kind of scope and it takes this on bit. something, uh, as we know, we've talked about this before, you know, the, the, the working with the non-pros, uh, the, the, the looking into the eyes of, 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 of a certain kind of marginalized poor population, you know, and listening to yeah. them speak. It's really a, it, it really does. And all, I, I think filmmakers recognize, and I think this is why it won the PGA, people in the movie business recognize how challenging and difficult it was and how much artistry is involved in the kind of camera work, in the kind of, of, of setting up of those shots. There's real fiction filmmaking going on in real locations with real people. And the other thing that's fascinating about this is that I'm sure that these movies have been seen, well, Nomadland, I'm sure, has been seen fairly widely, but it certainly hasn't crossed over into popular culture the way that some movies do. Uh, I don't know if Trial did either, but it's an open question this year. Trial is popular. Just how, much, how widely people... So I guess the, the, what, what I'm trying to, to suss out here is how much is there a wider awareness of the movies in contention for Oscars beyond the Academy? How much are inside the Academy? Them? There's no awareness of them. I, I talked to strange. this 90 year old woman who, who, who got her, her, her uh, screeners and, and, and looked at them and didn't know what they were. She had no clue what they were. A lot we take for granted that the world is online and that we're all paying attention to the same stories in the big newspapers and in the trades. And a lot of people aren't. A lot of people have been paying attention to politics and and COVID and and family yeah. COVID, members COVID, that COVID. they can't hug, yeah. you know, stuff like Which that. Is the the 
both the challenge and the opportunity for this year's Oscars show and Steven Soderbergh and company. And this past week, we got a window of sorts into their thinking with this memo they sent to the nominees, which I thought was fascinating. And, it, and personally, I mean, again, I'm not the best case study for whether or not people are excited for the Oscars, because I'll be watching no matter what. But personally, when I read this memo, it made me more excited to tune into the show and the way they're cooking it up. No Zoom speeches. You have to be there. Tell a story from the microphone. The way that they're thinking about doing this thing with only the nominees and their plus ones in Union Station, I just started imagining something that could be actually really compelling TV and also a good platform for a lot of movies that are worth talking about that maybe some that's people part of what okay so part of what's happening here is that be, before we get to the oscars there are very few films that have any big footprint and uh i think judas is actually one of them which is interesting because it happens to be the one that's gotten released in theaters that's it's actually true. having a theatrical release that's why that judas yeah. is so hot it opened the last, it opened February 12th, and it is now in New York and LA, uh, well, and you know, playing, playing in the Academy's backyard, assuming that vaccinated people are going back to the cinemas, which I did. We'll get to that in a yeah. minute. But in the meantime, the, 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 I'm excited too. I am too. But the, these are movies that are going to be branded by the Oscars in some ways and maybe grow some of their footprint after. It's just, it's just hard to imagine what would have happened if, if some of these movies had had a proper theatrical release. It would just be a different story. The father's benefiting from it too. Um, you know, now they're all playing, it's working out. They're all playing in theaters now, but I don't know how many people have gone, gone back to the theaters or how many of the art houses that would ordinarily play them are, are, are even showing them. I mean, the landmark, which is the resident location for uh, Academy viewers seeing movies in LA hasn't opened yet. I mean, it's about to, um, I think tomorrow, but it, it hadn't been open until now. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, um, all right. So the, the issue with the, um, the show itself is that they're experiencing a certain amount of blowback. And the blowback has to do with the fact that the publicists are actually going um, into the, the, the Academy and trying to figure out itineraries and trying to figure out travel plans and who's going to be where and how and, and, yeah. and when, and, yeah, and traveling if you're, internationally, I mean, if you're coming from outside, you have Europe, to have quarantine for 14 days, maybe on both sides. Yeah. If you're inside this country, you have to have five days of quarantine. If you're coming from outside uh, of the state and, and there's all sorts of questions of, are they going to be masked? Are they inside? Are they outside? Yeah. You know, where are they? So I got it from the Academy that they're both inside and outside, at least for now, fluid, fluid, a uh, fluid situation. Um, and there's been a meeting that was supposed to take place between the publicists and the Academy to straighten out all the how to's and they kept postponing it because they were trying to figure it out still. It's, I mean, so it's there's a, a lot of issues, challenge, but it's, this has been a logistical challenge that people have faced for all kinds of different events over the past year and change. So there's so many precedents and I'm They're sure asking for dispensation on the zooms. That, that is just bizarre because come on, what, what exactly? I mean, I don't personally want to sit at home and watch digital 
pixelated acceptance speeches. If I was directing that show, I wouldn't want to. I, I completely understand the logistical, the logical reason to do the show in a way that is more satisfying for people to watch. And they may have to do something where they let the foreign uh, travel uh, people. I think the Globes did some of this, where they gave them hotel rooms and set up cameras, and you know, someone like. Uh, sure. Uh, Rosamund Pike, you know, she was in a hotel room uh, well, with, with cameras like set the, up. Why not pre-record a speech and run it if you win? So at least you have the material, basically. That's what they did uh, at the PGA. Basically, every single nominee recorded an acceptance speech, which is one reason why they were so bad. They were really boring. <laughs> Maybe that's night. not the best thing. I mean, ideally, yeah, it was room, no. But... Seriously, it was terrible. It was terrible. So, so I mean, I wouldn't want anyone to watch these these guild shows. I mean, usually the WGA show is really entertaining, and there's lots of stuff going on. It didn't happen um, uh, last at these. Uh, at the, no, I, that that's what they did at the PGA, and I would har I would I would think that would be over Steven Soderbergh's dead body. <laughs> it's going to be. Sure. I'm sure it's going to be fascinating or, to look back on this afterwards and, and get all Jesse the, Collins. Or, yeah, there's going to be so much resentment and infighting and all this kind of stuff but also i mean we don't I, I don't really know what people want to get out of this i mean having zoom speeches on a tv we've seen that we saw the golden globes it doesn't work it's bad tv so fighting for that it just it doesn't benefit anyone it doesn't benefit anyone if the if the, if the acceptance speech you know is interrupted by bad wi-fi and it doesn't help no. the Oscars either. So, you know, I just, and people at home, if they're actually tuning in, they don't want to see that. So I think it's, um, I think people need to be practical about this and stop. Yeah, but I, I do to... feel, I do feel some sympathy for, for the, the folks who are coming in from out of town, you know. You got to just That's... embrace it. They got to embrace it as an opportunity. I mean, I, I think that in some ways. But also they're, they're dealing with countries up. where there, there are spikes in, in COVID and, and things am, are, are not necessarily yeah. going going well. You you're know? coming from Romania or you're coming from Europe, other parts of Europe where, where things are really bad. I can see that that is an issue. That is an issue. But, they, but it's just it's a it's a tough situation. We've been making tough situation decisions a lot over the past year. It seems to me like if you're producing a show, being sympathetic to somebody's situation at the expense of doing that show is not necessarily the best direction to go. You know, if they want an Oscar, they want an Oscar. That All right. What are we talking about? Are they going to care if Alexander now now is there to accept no. for for collective? No, exactly. They're going to care a lot if if Glenn Close and not to put too fine a point <laughs> on it. There aren't very many movie stars who are even nominated this year. Glenn Close is going to come, right? She's going to come. Glenn Close is like the biggest. She She's and Anthony go. Hopkins. H Hopkins lives in Santa Barbara and Santa Monica. So that's not a problem. And Glenn Stuart lives in Mo go. Montana or something, so she'll get here. But but there's going to be there's going to be some. They, they want the Viola Davis to show up. They She'll they go. want these people to be here. But the other thing is. Uh, we don't and know Daniel Kaluuya, he might win. Yeah, I think he might. Go. I mean, I my, what I'm curious about is how they deliver on the presenters front because we don't. That's where you can really curate and bring some star power out beyond the limitations of the nominees. And obviously, well, they can throw those presenters into any location that they want as long as they're you know safely distanced. I think the the Dolby is going to be for the musical performers and 
and they can control that in a more, uh, they're going to control both locations in, in terms of, of movie set protocols, that right. kind of safety levels. And so there's going to be some, some testing and some, some uh, you know, the, the, what they do on movie sets. That's what the quarantines are all about. And most of the talent's going to be familiar with that already. So And willing to do it, I think. We're in a different world than we were a few months ago in that respect. People are starting to feel more comfortable, I mean, especially if they're vaccinated, in trusting the protocols around them. I mean, people who might say before, yes, this restaurant is open, but I don't feel comfortable going there are now starting to reconsider that. And I think that sort of direction may be constructive for an event like this, which is still several weeks away. So we'll see how the numbers change and all that kind of stuff. Well, if I can testify as someone who's been vaccinated, yes, you know, I'm, I'm definitely breaking out all over. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's the roaring 20s, right? I've all gone inside here. a restaurant for the first time in a year. Uh, I've gone in, I've gotten myself a massage. Wow. I got that my, you know. And I did. You I are. a massage. Healthy. I mean, everybody's wearing masks. At the, certainly at a health place, everybody's wearing masks. The restaurant, though, when you go to a, I mean, everyone else is gone except me. But when you go to a restaurant, you you got to take your mask off, you know. So that's a, a a bit of a leap of faith. But when you recognize that you're actually vaccinated and that weeks have gone by since your second jab, you're really pretty safe, as long yeah, as you're I mean, not. Picking Trust it up from science. someone and giving it to someone else, you're right. okay. Right. Use the masks when you need to, but trust the science. That's the bottom line with all of this stuff. Right. So, so then I went to the movies. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about your movie and trip and to the movies? And then I played a poker game. Well, that that you you could get sick from in all kinds of different ways. You can get, we were all, all your money. double vaxxed. <laughs> Imagine a seniors poker game. <laughs> all of us close together throwing down the cards i broke I even that netflix series <laughs> i did well <laughs> but but it was it was we were we were like giddy school children jumping up and down and hugging and and you know hugging. it was wonderful wow. wonderful so uh, all right so the movies yeah the all right movie so theater. i ordered i ordered online that's how you have to do it now um i uh, picked a movie that i knew was bad but that i was curious about which was uh doug lyman's chaos walking which is a bad sci-fi western starring in on the show very shelf. dull tom holland and a very yeah. dull daisy ridley i do not recommend it and it has this sort of high concept thing that the men can hear each other's thoughts and the women can't uh, can hide theirs, and and what that so there's this gender dynamic, there's this uh, weird haze CG thing on people's faces when they're speaking their thoughts. It was very bad. It sounds <laughs> really like bad. A weird dream I had, and then spent the next day trying to figure out. Yeah. So David Yellowo is playing a preacher. Okay. Mads Mikkelsen is the mayor. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Cynthia Revo, the rival mayor. Okay. Really, really bad. Um, so, so then um, uh, I, I, I go to the uh, Westfield Mall. Uh, there's lots of people there with their masks on on a sunny weekend day. Um, I go into the AMC 15. Uh, there's, there's a line and I've got a code on my phone as if I, you know, which is what people do, you know, 
you, you shove your code at the guy, he scans it and says, go to 14. I go up, I skipped the concessions where there wasn't anybody there. And I went in and sat in my assigned seat, which was a recliner. And during the trailers, which were fabulous, <laughs> fabulous trailers, the seat started to rock and roll and jumble that and stupid 4D and, thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it was a Dolby house. Dolby. I was in the Dolby house. I saw one of the. I saw Bad Boys for Life that way last year, and I can't, <laughs> can't say that I, I, I embraced the experience, but I certainly understand how it exists to make a kind of movie going uh, opportunity more worthwhile for people who don't go to the movies very often. You know, well, it may, basically, that. I didn't notice it until King Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus King Kong came on, and I really Great. sat up in my yeah. chair and 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 looked at that one, and I went, "Wow!" My eyes were popping, my uh -huh. jaw was dropping, and then my my seat seat was rattling. <laughs> but but Chief it Cone was it that. was really uh, I I had seen the trailer for that movie without thinking about it particularly, but when you saw it on the really big screen, like Cruella looked fantastic on the big screen. And when you saw the two monsters go at it with the laser fire and all the rumbling, it was fantastic. It made me want to see the movie. And I actually got Warner Brothers to give me a screening of it. And I couldn't go last night because I had to but cover it's worth the Congress, I, had, I still haven't seen it myself, but publicists were reaching out and trying to get journalists to see this movie on the big screen and uh this is similar you resisted i i i couldn't i couldn't go but but there were they did make links available to people and i thought it was a fascinating situation because i don't believe anybody anybody no journalist i know saw tenant on a link now we're at a stage where most studios will make that available to you but when you have a con like I mean, you you are speaking from experience that this is a movie designed to be a theatrical event movie and the studio is obviously making an effort to message that through the coverage the movie receives. So it knocked my socks off, I have to say, and I wasn't expecting that at, at all. And you, and then there was a the other thing I saw a trailer for, which I was quite, um, you know how you. <laughs> I sit there looking at trailers and I, I go, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, that's going to die. Oh, that's a complete failure. Oh, that could be an Oscar contender. Yeah, yeah. There's or, always that yeah, yeah. 10 second moment afterwards where you make the judgment. Yeah, call, right? you do that. And 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 I'll, I'll be sitting with somebody. I'll go, oh, that looked really good. What do you think? Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and so there was this like Irish romance that looked like it might be be pretty good. Uh, but then um, Mr. Nobody, what's it called? Nobody. 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 Bob, I, Bob Mr. Nobody is actually, a, I think, a Jared Leto sci-fi movie. Um, nobody. I saw it. Did not see it in a theater. I saw it on a link. <laughs> but I had a great time. It looked and good. I, it looked like it could I'm be a sure. big hit. I, I think, especially in downtrodden pandemic mode, if you well, see the, what that, I mean. That is the thing. It's, it's a movie designed for payoff. It's written by one of the John Wick guys. It's directed by the guy who directed Hardcore Henry a few years ago, which was like a first-person action movie. And it has that kind of, you know, uh, comical intensity to it where it's like, these long takes of fist fights that like keep going way longer than you think they're going to, or, you know, a, a car chase that that's completely absurd. And the guy who escapes out of the trunk using a fire extinguisher or whatever, like it's got all this stuff. That's almost like, you know, Roadrunner and, and Wiley e. Coyote type of action. And that's very satisfying. It's 
it's not as satisfying, I think. It's not as soulful as John Wick, but but Bob Odenkirk is dialing down the Better Call Saul thing. It's a very different kind of performance. And the movie is so self-aware that as you watch it, you're kind of like rooting for it to succeed, to find a way from one action scene to another action scene, you know, as this guy who kind of like so, yeah. suburban life comes back and becomes a right. You know, a so he's a, he's a trained killer who's been yeah. hiding on, you know, uh, in, in suburbia and he he's pushed too far. And that's the movie. Uh, shall that we say. The whole thing. There, there's a really yeah. lame villain in this one, not, not particularly satisfying villain, but Christopher Lloyd plays Odenkirk's dad. And I don't know how much of a performance I'd say it is, but it's, it's fun to see him kick ass a few times. This this 82 year old guy. No, yeah. that's a good idea. I, I wouldn't mind. Um, it. No, it, it made me want to see the movie. And I and I just said, this is going to be a big hit. So so I it, I was in heaven. And now I'm demanding if I can get it. I, I want screenings. I really do. I, I want to see these things. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, it it's a it's a, a return to to theatrical to the theatrical world. I'm excited by it. So as we wrap I want up, more, I think people will I go think, back. I really do. I, as soon as there, there's a, sort of a question now. There's a, there's a, I think it takes time for vaccinations to sort of sink in. And, and, and what that's about is that we're all still confronting our primal fear that that's, that's controlling us. And we've survived this long and it's hard to realize that there's really nothing to be afraid of if you're you're vaccinated. As we we look ahead to, you know, the, the next few weeks, this is usually the time of year where we start to anticipate summer movie season. And I think, not only are we going to be anticipating it now, we're going to be anticipating it at the moment when people want to go back to the movies. I so think they're going to go back in droves. What, but really like, the movie's got to deliver, though. I mean, we better. I was see willing to see a bad a movie. Well, how will right. I feel when I go no, see it? But a you good are one. a case study of sorts, but not the ultimate one. I suppose Joe Popcorn is a different category than. Uh, <sighs> Man it felt Tom. good. Here's what it hit. What really hit. I don't know if I've. I think I've explained it, but it, the scale of it really hits you when you've been yep. deprived. That's yep. the visceral. The visceral impact is much bigger. Well, and it, and it's true. I think also for other kinds of movie experiences. I mean, you know, I, I like you've said before. I think we both want to see Nomadland on the big screen. I mean, the, the, you know the, what else it is? Is that you're? Yes, I really do want to see Nomadland. I feel like, I think what, I mean, this is, everybody already knows this, but when, when you're, when you're in a theater and you're succumbing, you're, you're kind of giving up everything. You're letting everything go while you rest in this quiet, safe place for a period of time and you don't have to do anything. And (laughs) And you're not going to do anything else and you're not going to be distracted by anything else. And I I think we take that for granted when, when we're constantly distracted. I heard this, some apocryphal story of some Academy voter that took eight days to see Nomadland. This is a very disturbing thing. Oh my gosh, what an absurd. Yeah, someone, a friend did ask me, is Minari a good movie to go see in theaters? I was thinking about going to see that. And I said, yes, because I mean, look, go see anything, but a quiet little drama that you've committed to in a dark room and you're probably not going to leave it until the credits roll for all kinds of reasons. I mean, the movie benefits from that, not just you. So there are so many, when you go through it, there are so many practical reasons why this particular 
you know, 90 to 120 minute experience, however long it's in our culture, benefits from this form of presentation being part of its No question. And 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 there's something else. For those of us who tend to get stressed out, uh, hello, (laughs) you know. um, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You're relaxed. You're relaxed. You don't have to think about anything else. You you give up. You you let it all go and you fall into this other world. That is the goal. Unless you're watching a movie that's designed to make you really uncomfortable. But that's a whole other thing because then you really do need to commit to being there so you don't shut it off. So next week, what's going on? We got some more award shows coming up, right? What's around the corner? Yeah, I mean, April 4th is uh, SAG. April 11th is BAFTAs. And they both have a lot of impact. Um, and uh, in the meantime, putting some panels together, some more videos. Maybe step at a time, we'll get through this weird Oscar season. Well, and I hope you enjoy your weekend, whether it's indoor or outdoor, playing poker or uh, going to a movie theater. But welcome back to society, and uh, I'll see you soon. See you later, alligator. <laughs> <laughs>